Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. And this time, I promise it will last longer than three minutes because yesterday's show, for whatever reason, got cut off short. We do apologize for that, but we are back today to share all of the fun news with you guys, um, review The Crocodile, and also review Dragon Con with our friend Ashley Benson. So I will be joined here shortly on the line by my co-host, Amy Hood. Uh, we're just having some more technical stuff going on with Blog Talk Radio, but that's okay because um, we're going to get it sorted out. And she will be joining me here on the line shortly, so just give me a couple minutes here. I uh, hope everybody had a good weekend. We've got a lot of coverage from Dragon Con, like I said before. Um, Ashley conducted interviews with not only Beverly Elliott, who plays Granny, but she also um, conducted an interview with Rebecca Mater, who played the Wicked Witch, Delina. So we're very excited to be talking to her later on. She's going to be joining us in about 45 minutes or so, and we'll have 45 minutes with her to, uh, to talk about everything that went on. In the meantime, let me hurry up and get Amy on the line here so that I'm not just talking by myself because nobody wants to do that. Let me see. Hopefully it will let me. Sorry, folks. And also, if you're listening, uh, if the chat room is not open yet, just give it a couple of minutes because, as normal, it does take a couple of page refreshes and things of that nature before we can actually get it going. So just bear with me here as we get everything done. Lots of technical stuff going on here lately. Lots of technical stuff. Hold on. Almost there. Amy should be on the line here in just one second as I try to fill the space and not let there be a whole bunch of dead air while you guys are talking. Okay. Amy, are you there, my darling? Hello. How are you, love? Oh, I am good. How are you? In a nutshell, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good, too. I could hear you this whole time, but I know you couldn't get me connected, so I was laughing because that's pretty much what I was doing last night when I was trying to fill the air until we could get you on. So, oh, I love technical difficulties. Yeah. They, they, what would life be without them? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So All right, fun. so we have, we have a lot to get through. We need to do the news. We need to do our episode review. We've got DragonCon stuff to do. So let's get on, right on into this. And also, everybody, the chat room is open. I see people joining us there. So if you are listening to the show, it's going on. It's happening right now. Get in the chat room. Okay. So, <laughs> so let's start out with our news bulletins here. So the first thing that we want to let everybody know is that um, the title of episode six for season four has been revealed, and it's called Family Business, mm-hmm. which may or may not be a reference to Henry and Rumpel's relationship. Um, I kind of think that it is. Amy, what about you? I think it could be, since you and I are both kind of leaning that way as far as what The Apprentice is about. But I also think that if we're still in the midst of the Frozen arc, this could also have something to do with Elsa and Anna. So it's hard mm. to say, but hmm, I think it could go either way. Of course, I personally would love if Oops, Zelina happens to come back and the family business is Regina Zelina because uh, we know I wanted more of that whole sister thing. But, you know, I'll be happy with whatever. Yeah, I'll be happy with something. I think you're right. Family business could refer to something to do with Anna and Elsa, perhaps. Although I don't know what family business it would be. Perhaps the Snow Queen will rear her ugly head. I don't know. 
because that is who Elizabeth Mitchell is playing. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that for sure later on, but I know that's who she's playing. So, yeah, we'll see what that's all about. And, uh, yeah, perhaps it has something to do with Maleficent, which mm-hmm. also happens news bulletin and amy has that one for us yes i'm so excited about that i'm actually wearing my melissa shirt right now and i know we mentioned last week it actually came out live that uh kristen sauer uh sauer von stratton who played maleficent in season one is coming back for the second arc of season four so we are getting melissa back and I might be more excited for that than I am for the Frozen stuff. And I love Frozen, but I, you guys have listened to me and Zach both go on and on for months about how badly we would love to have more Maleficent, love to have more backstory with her and Regina and the whole history of her. And when Adam was taking some questions on Twitter the other day, I asked if that had been something in the works for a while or if it just sort of happened now that True Blood's over. And he said it's been in the works for a long time to bring her back. So I cannot wait. I'm so, so excited that Melissa is coming back. Me too. Said it last week or whatever the news was when it broke. I am totally stoked. Um, That's really an understatement considering, I mean, I have a tattoo on my arm. So I kind of like the woman a little bit. Um, so I'm I'm a little excited. I also happen to have a lovely Maleficent scarf that hangs by my window. So yeah, I'm I am very excited. I'm stoked. And actually, there is a staff member of ours who has a theory about how this is all going to play out. But since she hasn't written it down yet, <clears throat> I'm just saying you should write it down, Miss Maury. Um, I won't reveal what she thinks, but there is a there is a possible fan theory that could be forthcoming on uh, on Once Upon a Fans. So stay tuned. Um, also, speaking of that. Speaking of Once Upon a Fan and fan theories, um, just want to make a quick little divergence here from our regular news bulletin. Why don't I let everybody know that tomorrow, um, Once Upon a Fans will be publishing an article that has my season four predictions on it, on what's going to happen in not only the first half of the season, but the second half of the season as well, um, dealing with individual characters and their relationships and things like that. So. I just want to let you all know that that will be happening tomorrow. So you can look for the article going up. I'm very, very excited about it. I'm quite proud of it, too. So you'll see some of that stuff going on there. Um, awesome. Wait for that later, yes. And I will be, uh, I'll be posting that. Uh, Amy, I'll send it to you so you can read it beforehand. So, yeah. um, yes, definitely. Yeah, so, so, and, uh, okay, so, also, um, let's talk about really quickly um, – Let's talk about the fan art that was chosen for the Once Upon a Fan um, cover stuff, and then let's get into the uh, the Frozen special and what they showed um, for the promo, you know, which included a scene that I think just about everybody who's ever seen a Disney movie lost their mind over. I know I did. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, let me see here. So, Amy, do you want to – you decide which piece you want to talk about. you want to talk about the fan art, or do you want to bring up the promo? Your choice. Uh, well – I do. Let's just cover the promo real quick. And I'm not sure if we have the – I know we have the winner's information, but we have their Twitter handle. So I'm not 100% sure what the actual name is of the winner. But I can say I'm familiar with the piece of art. You all know we had the Frozen uh, art cover art contest. We had tons of submissions. And it was really, really hard to vote. Like even the staff, we had to pick three and have all of the – 
people that are, you know, followed the site, had to pick three, and then we just kept narrowing it down. And finally, a cover art was chosen, the favorite, to be put on all of our social medias. And the person who created that piece was, the Twitter handle is Torialis, T-O-R-R-E-A-L-I-S, and it's a gorgeous piece of Regina standing at a lakeside, kind of looking out over, um, and it looks like the castle has like this frozen haze over it. It's really, really beautiful, but I had such a hard time choosing. There were tons of them that I would, in a heartbeat, get put on a T-shirt for myself or on a phone case, because you guys know how we feel about fan art. I have constantly, I've made tons of, uh, out of the fan art you guys have made, I make t-shirts and things just for myself you know for the house so yeah i thought it was really really beautiful i agree it looks like regina is looking at arendelle um uh, that's mm-hmm. what i assume to be so um i'm i like it a lot i think it's interesting that people are including regina so much in their fan art for uh the frozen story i know that she you know she's a very popular character she's one of the, you know a lot of people's favorite characters obviously like I said, very popular, but I found it, I just found it very interesting that out of all the characters and all the themes that they could have gone with, we had so many submissions that included Regina in one way or another. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because I mean, she does, you know, she does use fire a lot and uh, you know, obviously fire and ice kind of go together. It's almost like a song of ice and fire, isn't it? Ha ha. Game of Thrones. Reference. Oh, uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> ha. So I just, I thought that was pretty interesting. But, um, yeah, I really like this piece of art. Congratulations to the winner. I think it's good. Um, now that it's been kind of chosen, that was actually – that was that was my pick. I, that was the one that I liked the most. So I, I don't feel bad saying that anymore because it's not going to – you know, I, yeah. So I really like that one the most. Uh, so congratulations again to the winner. You will see that piece of fan art going up very soon on the cover page. Okay, so – since we need to kind of get into this really, really quickly. Let us talk about the new promo that they showed for season four of Once Upon a Time because it included a piece of iconic Disney visuals that just yeah. Rumple and Belle dancing and Rumple is wearing a blue suit and Belle is wearing her yellow dress and it was awesome. Yes. So gorgeous. It was it, he even did the pickup thing to turn her. It was just a like maybe a one or two second scene, but so, so it looks like the costuming is fantastic. I can't wait to see it. I agree. I'm looking, I can't wait to see the context of that scene. Um, they appear to be in Storybrooke. I've seen it mentioned around the interwebs that perhaps they're in the Storybrooke library, which I would love. Um, huh. I just think that would be cool. So we'll see. Um, and I think that would be to- totally appropriate because it goes with the Beauty and the Beast storyline and, you know, the books and Belle loving books. And, I mean, having them dance in the library, combining those two things, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So I'm stoked about that. Yeah. I'm curious to know which episode that's going to happen in. I hope it's in the premiere when they're, like, on their honeymoon still. Um, oh, that would that be would, sweet. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? So mm-hmm. that's what I think. Okay, so now that we've done that, let us get into our episode discussion so that we can make sure that we have enough time for Ashley when she calls in because Ashley's going to be calling in about half an hour. So let's do it. Yeah. So um, also, this, was the, uh, this was an episode that was pretty interesting in that it actually introduced Captain Hook to all of us. 
played by the rather the devilishly handsome, if you will, Colin O'Donnell. Hubba hubba. <laughs> yes. So, um, so yeah, let's let's get into this because there's a lot to say. There's a, a lot of stuff to review about this. Lots of it, you know, lots of you know, far-reaching implications and consequences in this episode. Lots of things happen that you know we're seeing you play out even now, still at the end of season three. So let us begin in the enchanted forest of the past. So, uh, Rumpelstiltskin comes home. He's not the dark one yet. And he discovers that Balefire is all alone. Poor kid. And why is he all alone? Because his wretched wife, Mila, I'm sorry, but she is <laughs> wretched. She's a nice person. She's vile. She went, she went down to the village pub. So they decide to go down there. And Rumpel leaves, you know, Bay outside. And he tells Mila it's time to come home. And, you know, she tells him that, what does she say? That she's, you know, tells him to go home because he's weak or something. And that's what he's good at. And she takes a shot of a drink. She's in there flirting with Captain Hook, well, Captain Jones at the time, and uh, having, having a lovely time there getting drunk. And then Balefire decides to come in, and, you know, that, I mean, that kind of makes her realize that what she's doing is not right, and so she decides to go home. With her so, brown eyes. Yes. Yeah. She, Mila really is not a nice person. Like she, like she started no, out that way. Became very unsympathetic very, very quickly. Like, yeah, you left your kid home alone so you could go down to the bar. Like, okay, that's a winning parenting move. So then the next day, Rumpelstiltskin finds out from a villager that Mila has been abducted by pirates. Oh no! Poor Mila. <laughs> So he goes down to their ship, and the captain, Killian Jones, is there. And he asks him to turn Mila back over to him, and then Captain Jones says that he will, but Rumpel has to duel him first. And Rumpel can't do it, because he's a coward, and he's afraid. So, unfortunately, he leaves and allows them to take his life, and, you know, goes home and tells Bay that she's gone, or... And everything else, and so that kind of sets in motion, you know, things that happen. So desperate souls, even though that episode took place in the previous season, so kind of going back and forth there a little bit. But that's okay yeah. because several years later, Rumpel, who is now the Dark One and has lost his son, goes to a tavern, and he is approached by. Thank you. About a magic beast. <laughs> transport people between worlds. And, of course, that's exactly what he needs to go get Balefire since you just, you know, dropped him down the pit. So before that happens, Captain Jones shows back up. Ooh. Uh-oh. And Rumpel decides he's going to confront him. He does so. And I love that he appears, like, on top of the roof. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's on the roof, and he's like, or no, wait, no, sorry, that was, no, it was a different episode. When he walks by, like, he walks by him, and he kind of nudges him a little bit. And he says, and I love when Hook tells him that, you know, gutter rats have more respect than what he just showed. Uh-huh. He wants him to take off Hook, so he does so, and, you know, they're all laughing at him, and then he's revealed to be Rumpelstiltskin. And he says that he is known by another name, the Dark One, and that kind of, you know, makes all the pirates, you know, shut up in fear because you should. And, you know, he wants to find out what happened to his wife. 
And Captain Jones, because remember, he's not hooked yet, so Captain Jones tells Rumpelstiltskin that Mila died. And Rumpel is kind wow. of like, you could eyes. Yeah. So you, you could tell that Rumpel is kind of taken aback by this. But he, they still decide to get to do a sword fight, and Rumpel gains the upper hand, and he defeats him. But just before he rips out the heart of his enemy, to what to his wondering eyes should appear, but his horrible eyes. Thank you, Not actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not really. Sorry. It was just really horrible. I'm so ready for Christmas. <laughs> It was it was just that bitch, Mila. Never mind. It's not even Halloween yet. Call call There is a meme that you made with Regina and her hands up, and I can't complete it. But calm your calm yourself, like. Laura made know. that, but I can't apply oh, that to Christmas because I'm ready. Like, I was ready months ago to bring out the Christmas lights. It's only my husband that holds from decorating. Not. Um, I have a problem. I can't, you do have a problem, seriously. Oh my God, it's not seriously. It's not even Halloween yet. Okay. So, Mila was never dead. She was living among the pirates instead. Oh, she had, and she had taken Captain Jones as her lover. Oh, well, it's implied at least. So then she asks that, that Rumpel spare their lives in exchange for the bean. And she explains that, you know, she wanted the life of adventure and excitement and she didn't want Rumpel still skin. And Rumpel is all upset because, you know, he can't believe that she would leave not only him but also, you know, Bellfire behind. And she admits that she does regret leaving Bay behind but that she allowed her hatred of Rumpel to prevent her from thinking about her son. Really and I'm not bad. believing that at all. Because up until Rumple asked her, you know, how could she leave by or they she did not mention him, didn't ask about him. Like as a concerned mother, first off, you probably wouldn't take off in the first place. But she didn't ask him. He no. had to ask her about it. She never even brought him up, so I'm not buying her crap. <laughs> well of course not, because she's a wretched woman. And yeah. um and, you know, she would rather go hang out with pirates and drink and get drunk than take care of her son. Like, she's not exactly a winning parent. Like, I mean, she's really not. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. It is horrible. It's like those parents who leave their kids in the car on a hot day. Like, it's just, it's not okay. So, like, are you, why are you not thinking about your child? So, Mila then, you know, she throws the bean to Captain Jones so the Rumpel will keep his promise. But, you know. That's the you know, oh wait 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 so she did, so she's wait okay so remember she told him I mixed up my notes so she told him that she would ex- give him the bean in exchange for their lives and then Rumple went down to the ship the next day yes okay mm-hmm. so she admits that she never loved him after she throws the bean to Captain Jones really? and and Rumple is he's basically had enough. He he ain't nobody got time for that. So he so he rips out her heart and squeezes it, and she falls into Captain Jones's hands, or you know she falls into his arms. Oh, so romantic! And then Rumpel crushes her heart, and she dies. Like she's gone. She's dead. 
And then right after that, of course, after Hook is very upset, like very upset, and determined to make Rumpel pay for what he's done, instead Rumpel slices off his hand, completing his act as crocodile that Captain Jones had called him earlier because he called him, you know, scaly like a crocodile when he first saw him. So that's where we find out that that's why Hook lost his hand, that Rumpel was, in fact, a crocodile. Of course, he did that because he thought that the magic bean was in his fist. And then Captain Jones grabs the hook, who's, you know, it's just laying there on the deck, you know, like it does. And, of course, nothing happens because you can't kill Rumpel with anything but the dagger. A hook has no effect. So Rumpel takes the hand and disappears in a puff of smoke after Hook says that he will take his revenge and he will find a way. And Rumpel says, good luck living long enough. And then he disappears. Okay. So... After that, of course, when Rumpel gets home, he finds out that he's been tricked because the magic bean was not in the severed hand. It was not. Oh, no. <laughs> Jones kept it to himself and then later on got it and he, you know, he has the new attachment for his hook, so he puts the hook on and they're sailing the Jolly Roger out in the water and he throws the bean in the water and opens the portal and Smee asks them where they're going, and he says, Neverland. And they sail into the portal, poof, then they're gone. Love it. And, again, and it makes me so sad that we never saw anything happen between Hook and Peter Pan because there's so much time that they needed to fill in there. Like, I hope they can yeah. get Robbie Cave season as Peter Pan so we can maybe get another flashback because that would be awesome. Although with everything else they have going on with Frozen and everything else, somehow I doubt it. But... That's an aside. And that was yeah, pretty much what happened. That. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened in the Neverland storyline. Neverland. I noticed yeah. rewatching this time, and I I don't know if you'd ever and I had not noticed it before. But in Rumpel's house at the begin towards the beginning, where Mila's laying in the bed, and she's like, "Oh, I'll try, fine," and he's talking to her. At one point, he walks by, and there are drawings, a bunch of drawings, either on a desk or on a wall, and they're all of, like, an island. You can see palm trees. And at the end of the flashback, you know, he's got that drawing that he's done of Bay, which to me means that he's the one that drew it. So I'm wondering if those drawings of an island were drawings of Neverland, since he was there when he was a child, just briefly. And I had never put that together and I hadn't even noticed them before rewatching this time. I never noticed it before either until you pointed that out to me online and I'm glad that you did because I want and I'm glad you brought it up because I was I was hoping that you would because it was your point so I didn't want to speak on it for you. But yeah, I find that very interesting. <clears throat> I think it's very possible. Um especially now that you know, with what we know. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree. I I do think that, yeah, I think that that's, I'm, and, it, and even if it's not, I'm going to go with it. There you go. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I shall believe what I want to believe here, and that is what I choose to believe. So there exactly. we go. Yep. Um, yeah, so that was pretty much it for the, uh, for the flashback storyline. Meanwhile, meanwhile, in Storybrooke, Belle is having a nightmare. She's having a nightmare where gold gives her a necklace and then Leroy comes in demanding their, you know, signs back. 
And as he's choking him against the wall, he turns back and uh, Rumpelstiltskin says, you know, he's the same man, always has been, always will be. Like, you know. Uh, which is kind of cool to see, like, the actual Rumpelstiltskin, like, you know, not Mr. Gold in, I'm like, what am I trying to say? In the pawn shop. Yes, thank you for catching up. In the pawn shop, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I had to wait for my brain to catch up with my mouth. It's okay. Um, so then she wakes up and she goes looking for him and she finds him spinning gold and making potions in the basement. Ooh. And then the next morning, she wants to know, she wants him to, you know, she wants to know why he was doing this. You know, she wants him to tell her. He won't explain why, so she leaves. And she goes missing, at least as far as he knows. So Gold decides that he's going to go down to see Mr. David Nolan Charming. Or David Char- Charming David Nolan? James Charming David Nolan. Charming. <laughs> there you go. Let's just we go with Charming. Yeah. 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 He's just yeah. Charming. Prince, Prince Animal Tech, James Charming David Nolan. There, there we go. go. <laughs> He's had a million names. So there we go. Um, so they're searching the town for Belle. And the residents refuse to help them out because of everything that Rumpel has done to them in the past. Like turning... Well, I think he turned the the kid's dad into a pig, didn't he? I, I think yeah. that's what it was. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, because he had charming asked him. He's like, do you ever remember turning a butcher into a pig? And he's like, well, that shit does, and it was his dad. Yeah, and he's all, like, frustrated with him. So then, you know, they're walking along, and, and, and Gold basically asked him for, you know, romantic advice. I mean, essentially. He kind of does. So, and then they also go down to Granny's and, you know, they ask Ruby for help. And I love that scene where Magnolia's like, sorry, it doesn't ring a bell. Like, <laughs> you know, I love, I just loved it. I loved it. So to, you know, help them out by using her sense of smell to track her down, um, she finds that she basically follows the trail to uh, the Game of Thorns uh-huh, um, flower shop which is, of course, owned by Belle's dad, Mo French. Mo. <laughs> yeah, Mo. Um, Mo, Game of, Mo Game of Thorns, all of them. Okay, so they go to him, and he refuses, you know, he says that he hasn't seen her and, you know, whatever else, and he's obviously full of crap because we know what happened. So, uh-huh. you know, because he's obviously not very happy with what happened the last time that he saw Mr. Gold and getting almost beat to death by a cane in the middle of the cabin. Like, you know, that's just probably not going to be something that's going to make people want to really help you out. So, you know. Okay. Um, and Ruby has her fabulous Michael Jackson outfit in, the, in this episode. Yeah. You know, her hat, her her tight leather pants. Yeah, that hat is fabulous. Can I just say that? It's fabulous. It's fabulous. Um, and also, I th- I believe, okay, so, again, my notes are out of order, and I almost can't read my own writing, but doesn't, isn't this the episode, like, doesn't she tell Belle that she should open the library back up since she loves books? Yes, it was, right? Yes. And, oh, yep. so she introduces her to, um, to iced tea. Yes? Yes. And pancakes. And pancakes. <laughs> yes. Yep. I'm yep. sorry, the homegirl is not going to be able to keep that figure if she eats pancakes and hamburgers all the time. Like, I'm just saying. Somewhere, somewhere, Belle like is going. To, 
somewhere Belle is going to the gym, which is run by the centaur Phil from Hercules in his human form. Okay. Ah, so it's <laughs> Okay. I'm just saying. So, Definitely. So Belle, at, at Ruby's suggestion, she does go down to the Storybook Public Library and, you know, kind of looks in it, checks it out, sees that it's kind of locked up and whatever else. And then that's when a homeless-looking man shows up and asks her for help, and she turns him down, and then he asks her if she's meeting anybody there, and he says no, or she says no, and then he kidnaps her, like you do. Like you do, especially if you're Belle. Poor Belle. Yeah, yeah, poor Belle. This girl cannot get a break. Like, somebody is always kidnapping this poor woman. Um, okay, Ashley is saying she is correcting me in the chat room, so let me uh, go back a little bit and correct this. Phil is not a centaur. He's a satyr. He's a satyr. Now I got the song stuck in my head. I just watched that movie last night because we got the Blu-ray. and I, that's, that's one of my favorite Disney movies, and I think it's hugely underrated, and I'm constantly quoting it, and I just watched it. Now I have that whole song stuck in my head. That's awesome. That I kind of want to watch it too because I have, I've had the song go the distance in my head for a couple of days, so I kind of want to watch it. And it's honestly, it's one of my one of my. I really do like Hercules a lot. I think it's underrated. Um, Me too. I oh, love. I love Meg. Meg is like one of my all-time top characters. I like Meg too because she's. Um, I enjoy her sarcasm. Mm. Actually, the whole movie has a sense of sarcasm about it that I really enjoy. Yeah. So, anyways. Anyways, so, um, we find out, of course, that Smee kidnapped Belle because he was hired by Mo Friends to take Belle down to the mines and send her over the town line to make her forget everything, totally cementing his place as father of the year. Yes. Seriously, like we like. First of all, we have a horrible mother example in Mila, and then we have a horrible father example in Mo Maurice, whatever you want to call him. Like, what is it with the parents named M? This is not good. If your name starts with an M and you're a parent, this episode is making it seem like you're going to be like evil and not not a very nice person. So move on. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyways, my gosh. So. Anyways, Ruby is able to track down uh, Belle because of her scent. And so they find her down in, you know, in the mines. And they stop him and, you know, they, she, well, okay. So Mo said, like, he tells Belle that, you know, first he tells Belle that she needs to not be with Rumpel anymore. And then she refuses and says that it's her own life. And then that's when he takes her down to the mine or has me take her down to the mine. And then he puts her in the car and sends her over the town line, and she's nearly there until suddenly the cart is grabbed by magic and pulled back, and, of course, it's Rumpel doing it. And, you know, good job, Rumpel, using your magic for something yeah. good. Who would have known? Yeah. So Belle is really angry with her dad and with Mr. Gold, and she tells him that she never wants to speak to either one of them ever again. So later that day... And, you know, who can, who can blame her, really? I mean, you can't really blame her. Like, you can't blame her at all. 
It's just too bad. So <laughs> later on that, Ruby sorry, gives Bell. Sorry, your dad's a big old D canoe, Bell. Yeah, sorry. Like, my oh, bad. Here, have geez. some iced tea and a hamburger. Have some pancakes. Uh, yeah, not a big deal. Eat your feelings. Uh, exactly. That's, that's uh-huh. like this. Well, really, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, she grew up with Granny, so I'm sure that every time she was upset, Granny probably made her something and, you know, made her feel better. So, you know, it stands to reason. Um, but mm-hmm. So she gives Belle a box, and there's keys in it, and it's to the library. So Belle goes down there, and she opens it up, and she sees Mr. Gold inside, even though she told him she never, you know, she never wants to see him again. And he tells Belle that he came to apologize and that the real reason why he created in the, first, the curse in the first place was to find his son and overcome his life as being a cowardly person through the use of magic. And he had hoped that once the curse was broken, he'd be able to go outside of Storybrooke and find his son. But since nobody can leave the town, he's trying to find a way to, to you know, get through the town barrier, and that's why he was making potions down in the basement. Hmm. And they make up, and she's forgiven him, and they promise to have a hamburger together. But Gold was not completely honest with Belle, because he has Smee locked in his basement. And I I don't know if you're referencing the animated movie or not when, uh, like, Hook is getting, like, burned by the crew and everything, but that's totally what I thought. was like, Okay. Yeah. So, (laughs) So Gold asks Smee, you know, where's Hook? Yeah, so a bunch of questions, but he wants to know where Hook is, and he can't answer him because Hook isn't there. It, apparently, he didn't come through on the curse. Meanwhile, in the fairy tale world happening right then and there, Captain Hook is surveying the you know the island refuge where all the people were, right? Like that's kind of shaped like a crescent moon, right? Uh-huh. And he's met by Cora. She has the ashes of the wardrobe that we had seen, you know, in the previous episode or whatever. Was it, wait, was that this episode? Um, I, I have so many notes. Like, I made notes. I have I notes for, like, like, I have notes well, for almost all the way people go the back and forth, there's so many tie-ins, and some things don't tie in for, like, five episodes forward, which I love, but... Then you get confused on which episode. I'm typing in the chat room. Sorry. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, you know, just, uh, okay. So, so the, the consequences of Captain Hook being here are, number one, um, Neil ended up dying. And Hook is now, you know, with Emma, who the punk it back then. Like, I never, I, let me tell you, when we first got this episode, I never in a million years would have bet any money whatsoever that Emma and Hook would have ended up together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, this was, gosh, I don't know. I still, I still have the, uh, the, the swan fire feels. I was a swan fire girl, and. Not you know nothing against any other ships or people ships Captain Hook and Emma that's Stevie Keen obviously they have chemistry too but I had always hoped that you know they'd get back together and have that whole little family unit it would be all cute and lovey but alas yeah I you know I will 
I will flag, or I will fly my Funfire flag <laughs> into the end of time. I will. That is true. Young it's true. Like, uh, I so, that was that was the episode of The Crocodile, and... I thought there was some and... really clever stuff in it. I mean, I do like... I thought there was some clever things. I liked getting, you know, Captain Hook's story of how he lost his hook. I loved that the lines that he says to Rumple when he first meets Rumple on his ship, or when Rumple goes on his ship, are the same lines that Rumple then turns around and says to him when they meet later on, and Rumple's the dark one. So, you know, the whole shift of power has changed, and, you know, that he... He, he, before he realizes he's the dark one, he calls him the crocodile. And I just, you know, there was a lot of really little subtle things that I think were were done really well in this episode. And that's one of my favorite things is that they switched it like that. I agree. I love it. I love okay. it. Hot was really hot. Yeah, there, you know, um, and he's getting a change of clothes finally. So you know. Yeah, he is getting a change of clothes in season four, which I'm stoked about because, well, I mean, Colin O'Donnell, you said at San Diego Comic Con this year that that jacket weighs 50 pounds. Yes. 50 pounds. Let me tell you, I'm really into fashion and I love me some clothes, but I am not going to love any jacket that weighs 50 pounds. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm not trying to have my outfit added to me. Okay. Like I don't uh-huh. care how cute it is. Okay, Okay. now having said that, if somebody were to come to me and say, hello, would you like a replica of Hook's coat that happens to be 50 pounds? I would say, why, yes, I would, thank you. But for now, sure. I'm just going to say, of course. But, you know, for now, I'm just going to say, you know, no, I'm not I'm not trying to add any weight. So. Does it have any Colin sweat on it? <laughs> that might you know, uh, me, weigh your... <laughs> having having <laughs> met that man in person, I can say that he is, he is devilishly handsome, but mm-hmm. I will also they have that having met Michael Raymond James, that that man is also very handsome, and the, and Michael Raymond James has eyes that are so gray you wouldn't believe it. Like, yes, yes, it does. Never really, got, never really got a chance to see that much on the show, but that man's eyes like pop, like whoa. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So I liked him a lot in True Blood. That's where I first came across his work, Michael Raymond James, because I was a big True Blood fan and. Um, that just came to an end. He was only in season one, but his his character had huge range in season one. I don't want to give away any spoilers for those of you who have not seen it, but yeah, that's where I first saw him, and I really got a lot of respect for him with the way that his character, the, the things that his character had to go through the arc in that whole series. Oh, my gosh, so good. Yes. Yes. It was good. Yes. <laughs> it was very, very good, too. Yeah. Um, anybody else familiar with Droopy Dog? Anybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're good, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. You should call into the podcast now, Ashley, sir. Hey. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, just having a little bit of fun. Okay. So... Um, yeah, that was, we're going to be joined here by Ashley Benson, who is, um, one of our fellow staff members at Once Upon a Fan and convention goer extraordinaire and, uh, my sister for life. 
So, um, actually, I think we're being joined by her right now. Hello, my love. Hello. Yay. Hello. Awesome. <laughs> How are you guys? I'm fabulous. I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> yes, I know it's been too long since I've uh, rung in with some uh, convention news. <clears throat> yes, yeah, so I we know. And you're, and I'm, I'm actually glad that we had an extra day here because you don't sound very, uh, you don't sound like you have your whiskey siggy voice. So. <laughs> no, definitely, I've recovered fully from the convention. Uh, four very days cool. on your feet will do that to you. <laughs> I didn't have the yes. uh, Jessica Rabbit going on there, like that kind of went away. So <laughs> Not, some of our I'm listeners just, might um, like that. Anyway, so. yeah, no, I am I am dying to talk about Dragon Con since this was my first one. So this is literally a whole new world. Like Aladdin, get out of here. This is a whole new world for me. Oh, <laughs> so um, um, yeah, just, so I guess the way that we can start it out is just kind of walk us through, you know, day by day, maybe your experience, and you know, give us some give, drop the deets on what they said, in, not only in your interviews but also the panels and stuff. Oh, sure. Well, here's the thing. The one thing that you need to know about Dragon Con, like the thing that, you know, you, you hear and you're reading about it and you don't really know is that it's definitely for the fans, by the fans. So it was fantastic to be in that environment, to have it be really fan-centric. Like for the panels, we had a moderator, obviously, to keep things rolling along, but the questions all came from the audience. Like everyone queued up right away and were bursting with questions. And I I remember sitting in there uh, the second day, and I was going over my notes for the interviews, and like, well, I can't ask that question because they asked it, and oh, that was a good one, and but they asked it already, and it was just like, ah, you wily fans with your interesting questions. But um, <laughs> uh, to to go through, I guess, the layout of DragonCon. Let me backtrack a bit. DragonCon is actually held in downtown Atlanta, between five hotels. It, there's about oh, I didn't realize it was that venues. big of a layout. Wow. Oh, okay. yeah. No, it's, it's, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt really quick because there is breaking news happening right now. Um, they have cast uh, Belle's mom. It's Frances O'Connor. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. <laughs> yes. Every time we podcast, there's, like, breaking news. <laughs> well, huzzah for us, you know, getting the news out, but that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, like, huzzah. Oh, I'm glad I rang in a bit early. Like that is, and you know how many people are going to IMDb right now because I sure am <laughs> to check her out, see if she gets my stamp of approval. They're gonna look at their service and be like, "What? Oh, there was a casting now." They're like, "Damn, okay. that lady's popular today." <laughs> we'll allow it. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Sorry, not to interrupt you. Pardon? So now that I've interrupted you, please continue. Oh, no, I was, I was going to say, so back to Dragon Con. Yeah, no, it's like what you're saying, Amy, it, it's it's a huge layout, and it's it takes some getting used to because I definitely, if you followed my Twitter feed over the, the uh, weekend, I got lost quite a bit <laughs> as a newbie. We, we were uh, very gracious uh, for us new media folks to get a tour um, with the uh, head of media relations. And even then, though, I was like, all right, so, so this is here, and we're on this floor, and we take the sky bridge. I don't know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was using like landmarks, like okay, you know, the the Kill Bill cosplayers hang out over here, so I should go, you know. And that's another thing, and I'll talk about that later. It's the cosplay at the show, but for like definitely, the show is in, unique in the fact that it's if you're interested in one track, they they use the term fan track. So if you're interested in horror, you hang out at the Westin. If you're interested in gaming, you hang out at the Hilton. So I basically. Um, hung out in between the Hyatt and the Marriott because the Marriott was more of a central hub. And let me tell you about the Marriott. I walked in Thursday night. My my flight um, was unfortunately late. So I just, you know, midnight I walked in Marriott like, oh, maybe there's some folks hanging out. The party had already started. It was phenomenal to see so many fans just hanging out and talking and cosplay already, cosplay out the yin-yang, and everyone was just ripping and ready to go, and it was it was so cool to see. Um, but, yeah, so I basically hung out between the, the Hyatt and the Marriott, and I used the, the Sky Bridges. That was a nice, convenient thing, because I would try to go out street level and be like, oh, wait, uh, where am I? Um, but uh, each... Uh, Day, you know, they they had time for all the cast members to be on the Walk of Fame, which was the autograph area, and then we get pulled away for either panels or uh, photo ops and everything. And we were really lucky; we had, I believe, it was four panels with the um, the media guests, and then there were two fan panels. And I really regret not being able to go to the fan panels because of scheduling issues. Um, with my personal, you know, running around trying to, you know, do interviews, et cetera, et cetera. Because that was really neat that they were, you know, you had fans on a panel talking to other fans, opening discussion. And, you know, they were discussing things such as, like, the villains of Once Upon a Time, which, you know, everybody, that's everybody's favorite subject is antagonist, what's what's going on. Um, But I, yeah, I mean, like, shoot me some questions. I, I am willing to talk about anything. Like, it's just it's such a different experience than going to a, another con. Like I won't even drop any other cons, but if you've been to other cons, it's, it's everything's kind of on one level. Whereas with this convention, you know, there's something different on each floor and you, something different to explore and everything. And so that was part of why I got lost. But it was also just really neat <laughs> to see. Like I would end up um, where did I wander into? I wandered into Rocky Horror Picture Show one night. But you know what I mean? Like it's all yeah. these sorts of cool things and. There's tables everywhere, and you go into the the comic book guys, you know, the artist alley, and all that, and see everything there. And it was it was just very neat. I I, I want to stress totally the positivity I felt there, because after you know it's over Labor Day weekend, you have four days of convention. So by day three, we're all a little flat, happy, all a little under rested, and everyone was just still very very excellent to each other, which was great. I mean, it's an it's an old con. Uh, it's been around. 28 years, so it's an Atlanta staple. And that's wow. another thing that I thought was fantastic. Like the first day I was there, we, we met some of the security guards, and normally sometimes you see a convention security, they're kind of like, all right, you guys in the costumes, okay. But these guys, were like, they were telling us stories, and they were so excited to be there and work the convention. And they're security, so, I mean, they, you know, they tend to deal with some of, you know, the rough stuff. And they were like, oh, it's great. You're going to have a great time. Bring a camera. It's going to be fantastic. And and the hotel staff was great, too. I ate at the uh, Sheridan every night, and every night the um, wait staff would have a different costume. Like, one night they were orange and new black. 
Um, and, you know, they're all fans. Like one, one gal was like, oh, wait, Once Upon a Time? Can I ask you some questions about Once Upon a Time? So <laughs> it, it, it's just so cool how much everybody gets into it. That, that was really neat to see. And it definitely made a welcoming environment for uh, me as a newbie. Um, but yeah, the panels the panels were great, and the one and I did enjoy um, the thing about the panels I liked is you could queue up beforehand, uh, but I mean by the end of the weekend I, I I was a bit wiser, and you could just walk in if you weren't totally set on sitting like right in the front row, you could get a seat. There was none of that anxiety where like I'm getting to this panel, do I need to sleep outside? Like what's going on here? <laughs> You could just walk right in and hear the cast tell stories, and they were having a great time with each other on the stage. You could really see that. Like, I really next year I'm getting video. I definitely am because the rapport that they all had on stage was fantastic. They were really playing off of each other and playing off the audience, and that was really fantastic to see. You know, our, all of our favorites up there having a good time. Um, I did the parade. The parade. The parade. Let me tell you about the parade. Um, I, I had a bit of a unique perspective as press with the parade because I had committed to being in it as granny beforehand. Um, uh-huh. So I was uh, being on the street and walking down the parade and then seeing, it was like the entire city of Atlanta showed up for this. Like the entire city of Atlanta was supporting these cosplayers. It's like 10 deep, all the kids were out. And they were like, oh, Snow White, Elsa, you know, like going up and waving at everybody. And I got a few grannies. I got a few hey there with the crossbow. So I was like, all right. Yeah. Um, but the thing that really struck me the most is so you're walking, you see all these people at eye level, and then you kind of, you know, you, you look up because something catches your eye, and there's folks on, all on their hotel balconies looking down. There's folks in the restaurants, like, watching and taking pictures. And then at one point we turned the corner, and there was a huge parking garage in every floor of the parking garage. There were folks just all around the edge, just hanging out, waving, and you know, watching the parade, and that was cool. Like that was cool to me that the community ported the con so much. I just I can't right. get over that. Like that is really one of the, my favorite things about going. It makes me want to go again. Um, the like I said, the panels were just fantastic, and it was really nice to have so many of them because like if something if you wanted to catch something else, you didn't really feel bad that you weren't going to catch a once panel um and then as you guys know i had a couple of interviews as well that was that was a lot of fun um i really liked the way they set up the interviews it was a very quiet intimate setting so i was able to you know we were were able to kind of laugh at that i don't know if you guys caught the recordings but there was there was some there was some joking going on and that was great um to get both ladies, both Beverly Elliott and Rebecca Mater's perspective on things like filming up in season and just, you know, what it, what goes into their characters, kind of the bath, you know, pr- preparation and everything with that. Um, I will tell you, by the way, and this is, this is a bit of a funny story. So Beverly Elliott's, um, our interview was first. First interview off the band. Of course, I got lost in there, so I like, rushed into the room. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And she goes up to me, she's like, oh, you're the one. Everyone tells me you're a granny freak. Do you have pictures? And I'm like, excuse me? Apparently, apparently, because, you know, you guys all know I go to a lot of cons. Um, So I meet a lot of different circles of oncers. 
And I, I, you know, I tend to, I know some of the folks who. Well, there's a bit of a, uh, I'm getting a bit of a feedback. Yes, I'm hearing a TV. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Um, no, it's all <laughs> maybe. good. maybe. I don't TV know. Here. Something. <laughs> um, but it's all good. Yeah. We're all friends. We're all ones here. But so I, I step in. She's, she's like, well, you're, you're a real granny fanatic. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. Because apparently everybody had gone up to her table earlier in the day and been like, so there's this girl, and she dresses up like granny, and you totally need to meet her. <laughs> it was like every uh-huh. single person. So there was quite a bit of a precedent set there before I walked into the room, and I was like, um, oh, okay, hi. <laughs> but well, it was really fun. That's actually how I knew who you were before we, like, actually spoke to each other, because I saw you at Enchanticon, because obviously – you know, we were all there from Once Upon a Fan, so we had seen you there. And then at Spooky, I saw you again. And then, like, somewhere in between there and that, talking to you on Twitter, that's how I, like, remembered who you were was from the granny costume. Oh, the old lady, like, oh, the old lady drag? Yeah, the old lady drag. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to retire that blouse. It got completely, like, this was the last concert. But we have plans to sew a new granny blouse, so that's all good. But, yeah, Aww. I think that's really, that's really funny that now it's even gotten to Beverly Elliott, where she's like, oh, yeah, you're the granny girl, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and she, and speaking of costuming, though, I do want to backtrack a bit. Cosplay <laughs> is a huge, huge part of this convention, and the, ingenuity and creativity people put into the costumes. It was the best, one of the best parts of this convention, if you had a bit of downtime, was just kind of pick a corner and people watch because you saw so many interesting takes on different um, costumes. Excuse me. And, you know, uh, there was, I think, the group in front of us in the parade were Disney Princess Walking Dead. So you had, like, Wow. They were all torn up. You had like a Prince Eric with a dagger, and he was, you know, there's a classic Disney, you know, color palettes and everything, but they were all torn up from zombies. And I think I saw a Velma and Daphne Jedi pair where their Jedi robes were like the purple and the orange. And I just, you see that kind of stuff out the corner of your eye, and you, you kind of pull a, uh, what is his name, Doug from, uh, from Up, when you're like, oh, except it's like, costume, costume, costume. <laughs> And, and that's neat to see because everybody, I think I ran to one guy on Thursday of all days, and he was already decked out. He had 3D printed his War Machine costume, and he's like, I'm from the Internet, guys, because it got a little play beforehand. But it was, you know, just so neat to see the dedication, especially with the weather in Atlanta because it was my my poor Chicago bones. I By the second day, I was like, all right, no more of this. I need to get back in the air conditioning. Um <laughs> But, yeah, so I had a good interview with Beverly Elliott. It was very nice to kind of finally meet the inspiration for all that costuming. And then Rebecca and I met on um, Sunday. And, you know, it was towards the end of the night, but we were both very tired. And she she was a trooper. We were having a good chat about the makeup, which is something I always wondered about because I'm a big fan of how they, you know, practical effects as opposed to CGI um, so hearing her stories about the makeup and, like, you know, taking it on, putting it off, like, the, the everyday things, we still need to hear from her perspective because, you know, that was her life for the time that she filmed. Um, so to hear about that was fantastic as well. 
and um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I just I just only have really good things to say about this con. It's 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 I it's, love it's, Rebecca. She's so oh, she's fantastic. They were all so fantastic, and it was really nice because it being a four day con, um, you could really go up and kind of say, hey, how you're doing, and you know, and get an autograph and have a bit of a chat with everybody at the table. And we were extremely well represented at this convention. We had so many Once Upon a Time cast members, like not only, you know, the folks who were doing the panel, excuse me, but um, I believe Amy Acker was there. Um, mm. uh, the, oh, goodness. Emma Caulfield, who played the Blind Witch, was there hiding out in the corner. I'm I, you know, the last day I found out, she, I was like, wait, no, she's here too, more once upon a time, yay. Because <laughs> um, that's the thing, the weekend is, 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 it's so full, and you have so much time, but there's always something like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see that next year, I'm going to do that next year. I really, if, if you can't make it out to one of the, like, quote-unquote bigger cons, go to this one. This one is, this one's a good one, it's, a, it's affordable. And it's funny because everyone stays in the hotels that are hosting, so I think that's what makes mm-hmm. cosplay really easier. And, um, of course, I think a staple of uh, Dragon Con is having a good elevator story because, like, in the Marriott, we'll, you will pack in there, like, 15, like, 20 people at a time, and it'll hit every floor and be like, nope, no room for you, Darth Vader. He's like, whack. <laughs> And I remember waiting for the elevator. There was a lot of uh, Robin Williams representation. Like, folks were definitely, you know, honoring the man there with cosplay. I remember waiting for the elevator, and it opens, and there's a there's a Mrs. Doubtfire in the robe with the, the shaving or the meringue on the face. And my instant reaction was just to go, hello! And the entire elevator responds with a, hello! And then the doors close, and I was like, all right. These are my people. Uh-huh. This is fantastic. Yeah. So I found my tribe. Pardon? I said I found my tribe. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're looking, no, that is really that I feel is definitely the feeling of the convention is that you do find your tribe. That is, you are very on point with that. You do find your tribe of people. Like I, obviously, you know, something you, know, you beat once or from other conventions. But it seemed like everybody was here. Well. You guys need to be there too, but like, as so many people I see in other cons are like, oh yeah, no, we come every year. Like, it was so that was really cool. Um, do you guys have any questions for me? Like, is there anything I haven't hit? Um, I do have a question for you. You mentioned that it was convenient because everybody, a lot of people, were staying at the same hotel that the con was being held at. So conventions that happen in, you know. In the future, and yes, I just said future twice. I'm a totally awesome writer. Um, for any conventions that may be happening in the future, do you think that that is something that is more convenient to the people that are doing cosplay? Um, I definitely think that's something more convenient to people who are doing the cosplay because three of those hotels are directly connected via the sky bridges, so you don't even need to go outside. Um, is sky bridge, so like the little hamster tubes that go between the hotels. So I believe that's the the Hilton, the Hyatt, and the Marriott, the three big ones, are all connected via that. However, the, the, you do have to factor in the whole elevator thing. So if, you're, if you need to make a quick, quote-unquote, run-up to your room, that could be so quick. The stairs are definitely your friend. <clears throat> but I stayed off-site, actually, because I, I got into this a little late in the game. And I, I didn't really feel um, 
like I was missing too much of anything since the programming goes it goes so late. And that's not a bad thing. That's fantastic. Like you'll like I said, I walked into the Marriott on a Thursday and it was midnight. I stuck around till like two o'clock in the morning. But every it's just like a nonstop party. It's it's nerd nerdy gras or nerd Vegas. It really is. Um, like you'll wander after a panel uh, that gets out at mm, seven o'clock. And there'll be folks still in the lobbies and stuff, like, you know, hitting up the bar or whatever and just hanging out and <clears throat> taking pictures, so many pictures, and just having a good time. So I do think for cosplay purposes, like, it's definitely if you have one of the big builds or you've got a lot of lot of stuff going on, um, I would probably stay in one of the host hotels. Like, it was actually very interesting to see folks packing up to leave on the last day later, and it was just bell hop carts full of like props like swords sticking out and uh, other you know masks and capes and then luggage and coolers it's just like oh you were here for the con like there's there's about seven lightsabers in that bag okay (laughs) (laughs) oh and speaking of lightsabers i was going to say there is also a whole dealer's room vendor situation um close by in the i believe it's the amerimart area forgive me if I, I i didn't spend too much time in there um but when i did get a chance to go in there like anything you could conceive to get whether it was things for your cosplay like corsets and, and leather items belts uh, steampunk goggles um eight by tens for autograph session t-shirts t-shirts Oh, my Lord, the T-shirts, um, just all sorts of fun things, badges. They do all the badges and patches. It was all there. Like, it was everything you could have wanted. So you really you could hit, like, everything up. And, yeah, um, it was just it was a really good time. I felt very at home even though it was my first year. That was very nice, especially with, like, the staff. Like, the volunteers were all extremely knowledgeable and – um, extremely positive, especially with the folks doing the lines in the autograph session. That was very nice because you know some, like some folks, like Patrick Stewart, obviously had a huge situation oh. happening. So yeah, um, but it was it was it wasn't like everyone was extremely like if I because again with my horrible sense of direction, I'd be like, okay, quick, where is X Y Z? And they'd be like, oh, you'd go up this escalator, go through the sky tube, go over here, go down one floor, and look for the signs. And uh, I got there. So that was great. Um, are there any other questions? Amy, go ahead. So, sorry, my earpiece went a little bit dead. How do you feel that Dragon Con compared to Spooky Con? Because Spooky Con, I'm just curious, like, size-wise. I know Dragon Con was bigger because of just – from what you're saying, it sounds like it would have to have been bigger because of how it was covered in multiple hotels. Um, what do you think about the experience of a centralized one as opposed to it being bigger like that? Did you have a better experience at one versus the other one? Hmm. I think that it took a bit of getting used to just the fact that I, I'm used to staying in one building all like 15 hours for a convention. I'm not used to, okay, now I have to go to this building. Now I have to go here. I'm used to being like, okay, go to this room or go to that room. So that for me, that took a bit of getting used to. But 
I feel like with spook, spooky is a bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Since it's just, it's mostly horror, it's a bit uh-huh. more concentrated. So you're able to have a bit more of intimate experience since, you know, there's only so many, well, granted, horror is an amazing, like, huge genre. Like, I do love me some horror. Um, but with Dragon Con, like, you had a bit of everything. Like, you had, like I said, you did have horror, but that was in one hotel, and there was a hotel, whole hotel uh, devoted to gaming and every type of gaming. You had tabletop, card, console. I believe there was some um, arcade pa- uh, the, the, the arcade cabinets, that's the word. I'm learning mm-hmm. English still. <laughs> um, you had, and like the, the track, the fan track that I was most interested in was the American Sci-Fi um, and Fantasy Media. So obviously I had your Once Upon a Time, but it also had things like Arrow, Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica, you know, just a, that was a bit of a broader range. You kind mm-hmm. of, so forgive me if I'm not directly answering your question. Like it, it, it was, how it was spread out did, I mean, by the third day, I was like, oh, I need to go here. I was a pro at that. So I wouldn't, it seems a bit daunting at first, but if you take your time to really appreciate the fact that you're seeing so much, that it, it, yeah. it makes, you know, wandering around, it makes it, you know, not not a challenge. Interesting. A little, I've been to MegaCon here in Orlando, and obviously mm-hmm. Enchantacon, and uh, and then Spooky last May. So those are the three uh, major ones that I've been to. So those kind of vary in size. MegaCon being the biggest one, and mm-hmm. it just was so hectic. But I wasn't there as staff either. That was just kind of kind of going around. So do you feel like that if you had to plan so much at such a big convention that you had to give up missing? Like, if you wanted to see all of the Once Upon a Time things, would that have been possible for you? Oh, or yeah, would totally. that have been impossible for just the average bear going? Oh, it was totally possible. I mean, I... Mean, I well, yeah, I mean, you, I've been... <laughs> I've been to a lot of cons. So I'm a bit mm-hmm. used to, like, planning out and picking and choosing. And obviously my focus for a lot of those conventions are once upon a time. But I've, I was able to get into all four of the cast panels. I did mm-hmm. miss the fan panels, unfortunately. But one of those is because I was scheduled with an interview. Actually, I think both of those was because I was scheduled with an interview. Um, but I was also able to spend time on the Walk of Fame with the actors. I was also able to do photo ops. I was able to cosplay and participate in the parade. But I was also able to check out some of the other uh, things that I have interest in. I I am a Hannibal fan, so I managed to meet up with um, one of the members of the Hannibal fandom and you know do a bit of a signing with her and then meet up with her later and chat. I was able to uh, do photo ops for things outside of Once Upon a Time and visit tables outside of Once, of the to- Once Upon a Time. I was able to do a bit of a shopping, too. I have a Dragon Con t-shirt now. So I think that everything, if you were concentrating on one show, like if you were concentrating just on once, you were completely gold. You were able to see everything. But, like, I was able to... Like, I stopped by Ivana Lynch's table, you know, her from Harry Potter. So I was able to do all of my Once Upon a Time stuff, 
see a bit more of the things that really interest me and still have time to actually, like, chat and talk with fans. Like, I was able to go out and have, like, a beer and dinner with a lot of oncers um, throughout the panel. We were times we could, you know, let's grab a sandwich or a coffee or something, too. So it's as right. hectic as it does sound, it's, you, you are able to see quite a bit still. That's, well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess my question is, um, your um, your interview experience with Beverly and Rebecca, as far as um, you know, the different questions and things. I'm just curious at how, like, what the interaction was like um, between the two of them. You know, if they're aware of the fandom and what kind of effect that they've had on people and that kind of a thing. They very much are. I feel like they very much are. Well, the like I said, the the interview setting was very intimate, so it was really nice to kind of have more of a conversation than just fire you know questions through a microphone. Um, because we, we we sat down, and I just stuck the recorder between us, and you know a lot of the questions that kind of flowed from the interview weren't ones I had pre-prepared. The, um, both ladies were fantastic in kind of taking the conversation and running with it. They had a lot to share. And they are very aware of the fandom. I mean, obviously, filming is Steve's, and they see the fans, and they're able to go and greet the fans. And they're very, very grateful, both of them are, I feel, for the, um, the attention, or rather, the, that once brought them, but also what they do for the fans. I believe somebody asked in the panel, are you aware of how you've changed people through the show. I'm paraphrasing, so I'm probably butchering the question. But it was along the lines of, you know, the show has really helped a lot of people. And I know when the panelists were addressed, you could really feel it with both of the ladies that the cast know, the cast feels it's a huge responsibility, but they're up to the task because they know how special the show is to everybody. And you could see that at the tables when, like, People were sharing their stories. Cause that was a nice thing. Like I said, you could walk up and have a bit of a chat while you're getting your autograph or whatever. So, I mean, I was able to share my stories with Beverly, and you know, folks were able to have a bit of a moment, and that was very nice. So I think that they are very much aware of the fans and, and the effect that the show has had on them, but also the fandom at large. Like, we definitely, they, there was, they are aware of the, the, the tweeting and everything that's going on and, you know, having having a good old time on the Internet here. <laughs> good. What? Yeah, good, I mean, okay. Was, yeah. I'm always, I'm always curious about that because we hear about that kind of thing you know, a lot where they, you know, where they obviously acknowledge their fans and everything. But, you know, for so many of us, the show, it goes beyond a television show at this point. You know, it's done oh, yeah. things. That, I mean, it's changed so many of our lives in such a huge way that, you know, like we don't always get to, you know, you always kind of wonder whether or not the actors themselves are aware of everything that's happened and, and the effect that they've had on people. So I, that's why I was curious about that. Oh, no, and, and definitely, I mean, uh, from what I could see, me personally interacting with fans, like maybe not even fans that I had met in person but kind of talked to on Twitter, you mm. could see, like, even them talking about what was going on at the convention, how excited they were and how, you know, sharing their, willing to share their stories with other oneers. So if I could see it, I'm certain that the cast could see it. 
Um, right. And that's why I think that doing conventions like these is just great. Um, obviously great, you know, for us to kind of give a, you know, hey there to our favorites, but also kind of make a, a fan actor connection that you might, might not get through, like, a fan letter or Twitter, like seeing somebody per, you know, face-to-face and looking into somebody's eyes and being like, yeah, no, I was, I was bullied, but your story of your character helped me through that, or I, I had a problem with an addiction, and then I watched the show, and it helped me, it gave me hope. They are, one of the first questions, the first things I remember them talking about in the panel is that the show is about hope and family, and I think that they do know that the show has given a lot of hope to fans and has created a once family. Like, they, right. you, I think that they, I would like to hope that they have it, and I really do think that they understand that. So that's, that's what I think is fantastic. Are there any questions in the, in the chat room? I haven't, uh, I haven't been watching. I haven't been watching on. Somebody, Sarah Bennett is asking since this was Dragon Con, did you see Smaug? <laughs> I didn't, you know, I saw a lot of, um, and I'm going to butcher her name, um, Game of Thrones. What's, what's her, Mama Dragon, Mama of the Dragons. Daenerys Targaryen. Yes. Daenerys. I, I, the internet's <laughs> going to hate me now because I just was like, no, I'm not pronouncing that. I did see a lot of her going on. There, there was, there was some, some dragon. Like, like I said with the cosplay, there was a lot of big builds. So there was like wings and things and some people had special effects. Like I think I saw there was some guy with like smoke coming out of somewhere. So um, it was – I didn't see Smog uh, officially, but uh, I did see quite a few uh, dragons. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. And, and there was – I wanted to do one point. There was, this was very much a family thing. Like I saw a lot of kids and a lot of – uh, kid cosplay too, so that was really neat to see that this like has become a family thing too. So that was fantastic, like you know, raise the nerdlings, but also to kind of <laughs> make a safe place for young fans. Like, oh, you like Doctor Who? Well, here's a bunch of other people like Doctor Who, so it's cool that you like Doctor Who so much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, I have kids, so I love that they are well in the ways of nerddom and geeklings. <laughs> They would definitely it's have a blast. Very important here. to me. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> I had all three of them at Spooky. My two stepkids and my son. So yeah, we're they're they're quite the uh, the little little nerdlets. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, this would be a great one to. This this is the, I really think like if you're. I, I, on a, I mean, I don't want to say on a budget, but if, if you're trying to look for, like, a quote-unquote bigger con or a con with a lot of different things going on to check out, I would check this guy out. I mean, they even, like I said, I mentioned all the different tracks, and then since I mentioned Dr. Who, I forgot to mention one, they had a Brit track, so it was all sorts of British goodness in one um, um, one hotel. Oh, and I almost forgot, they also do dances and stuff, too. They had a zombie prom. I thought so. Everyone dressed up the old zombie and did a zombie prom. Then he also had something called the Yule Ball, which was like the big dance that everybody goes to. And stuff. I was way too tired to to attend, <laughs> but I kind of wish I did because I saw some pictures from it, and it just looked like a whole ton of fun. Aww, that's but, um, awesome. Oh, cool. We have one question from the chat room, and then after that. Sarah, um, Sarah Egan wants to call in and share 
a um, a uh, a theory, right? Yeah. So the question that Sarah Benedict is asking is, how long have you been cosplaying, and what got you started? Oh, me? Um, uh, when was enchanted? Maybe less than a year. About a year now. I've only been cosplaying. I got started. I got started because of Enchanticon, actually. Enchanticon started this all. I, I, I thank and blame you, Enchanticon, because I, that was the first convention that I heard Beverly Elliott was going to attend, and I was like, ooh, I need to be there. And everyone was talking about dressing up. There was a fantastic Facebook group. It was like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And before that, I, I had gone to cons, but I had never really done the whole dressing up thing. I was kind of like, well, I don't know. But I, I, I decided, you know, I heard there was a ball and everything and folks were going to be dressing up. I was like, well, you know what? I really like Granny. Let's, let's represent Granny here. And so I, I, and I don't sew. So I was just like, okay, how am I going to do this? Like I was so intimidated with where am I going to get, you know, the supplies? Where am I going to buy a crossbow and not get dinged by like, you know, some sort of authorities? Um, but with yeah. a little research, well, a lot of Googling and a little help, a little help of my friends, that's how I got by. I managed to cobble together my, my granny situation. Um, it, it was a bit of a learning experience. Like, I definitely like want to say definitely if you're thinking about cosplaying, look on the Internet. Just, just, there's plenty of message boards that have different ideas on what to use or where to go or tips. on. Like I bought a bunch of mascot cooling packs. Because my costume, if you've seen pictures, is I have a heavy shawl, I have a big leather belt, I've got the wig. So I bought something that, you know, you put it in the freezer and you put it around your neck, you put it around your waist to cool you down because you don't really realize what wearing a costume all day, like you you get a little swampy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's what got me started. And being at Enchanticon, it was nice to kind of introduce Granny into a smaller con because I was I was so I was I walked out of my hotel room and I was like God I look I'm wearing a Mrs. Doubtfire wig and I've got this crossbow and I do, I'm so nervous about how I'm going to be received and I remember walking to the room and people were like Granny and that was a great just the the thumbs up was a great yeah. thing. and that's what you get at cons when you dress up no matter how if you try folks are going to love it. So I really like, I'd say just try cosplaying at least once just to kind of, you know, see what it's all about. But that, that response made me go, okay, let's, let's, let's bring Granny to other cons. So I brought Granny to Spooky um, and I brought Granny, obviously I brought Granny to San Diego and that was my first encounter with, wow, it's really hot here. Too bad con season huh. during the summer. This, this is not fun. Yeah. Leather and the sun don't mix. Um, and then it was really fantastic to bring Granny to Dragon Con and actually it was, uh, Beverly Elliott was so nice when she signed my autograph, she put on there, thanks for doubling as Granny for me and I was like, oh, that, that's the culmination of my cosplay like career right there is the thumbs up from the actress so um but yeah excellent i got a theory that wanted to call in yeah i've got a theory who wants to call in so i do have to i first of all thank you very much for calling us tonight and sharing your experience with us you know how much i adore you and love you and everything else but i do appreciate you taking the time out to share your experience with the podcast and our podcast listeners 
Everybody, if you are interested in getting more of Ashley's Roundup and her interviews with Beverly Elliott and Rebecca Mader, then you can check out onceuponafans.com because we will have them there for you. So just keep an eye out there for that. Um, lots of good stuff going on there. And then, of course, too, if you want to go back and read the history of everything that was happening, Ashley was live tweeting it the entire time. So if you go check her Twitter feed, which is at mitigated text, you can check it out there. Um, once again, my love, my sister for life, thank you very much for calling us tonight. I love you and I appreciate your time. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Ash. Bye. All right. I'll see you in the chat room. Yes. All right. Bye. The fabulous Ashley Benson, everyone, please give it up for her because she is so fabulous. And now, on the line by our good friend Sarah Egan, who has been a long-time regular listener of ours, and she wants to share a theory about what's happening on Season 4. So, Sarah, are you there, my love? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Excellent. How are you tonight, my dear? Uh, I've got ahead a very long day, and now I'm home relaxing and listening to the Once Upon a Fan podcast. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for listening, as ever. I know awesome. you've been with us for a while, so I appreciate it. Yes, we love Sarah. Not a problem. So share with us your theory, darling. Okay, so it sort of hit me when I rewatched the season three finale um, a week ago, and it all has to do with the concept of time travel, basically. So this is going to be a doozy here, so I'm going to try – explain this in a very clear, like, straightforward way without confusing too many, because it's, it's a bit, it's, it's a challenge, because I tried explaining it to my friend, and we were stumped for a bit of trying not to screw ourselves over with it, but um, <laughs> here we go, because, all right, so in the finale, we recall that um, Emma and Hook accidentally went through the portal at least 28 years. We'll, um, we'll just say 28 years because it was before the curse, um, right when Charming and Snow were meeting. They screw up the events. They, as we saw, and they, in the end, they end up in Rumpel's vault. In that vault, we have uh, the urn, I guess I'm calling it, the the vase thing the vase that also yeah, was the yeah yeah so it got me thinking at that point was Elsa in that vase before the before Emma and Hook came in and uh, skewed the timeline here um, was do you think that she what she Elsa was in that vault for the entire 28 years up until the present before Emma and Hook changed the past. Because if she did, if she was stuck there for 28 years the entire time, there is a good possible chance. Now, unfortunately, my theory is a bit of a, has a bit of a downside to it, that Anna and Elsa, uh, sorry, Anna and Kristoff along with all the other Frozen characters that we will be potentially seeing this year, are dead by the time we are caught up to the present and current Storybrooke time. 
that there is no possible chance without time travel for Anna and Kristoff to appear at one point in Storybrooke like Elsa has because Elsa had made that time jump unintentionally. I think I think that okay. So this this, this does involve time travel. I feel like I have to put on like Star Trek logic because it's all the time travel. I, yeah, I know. It's, so I'm putting so, my boss hat right on. Because what I'm thinking is um is that when Rumpel cast the, the curse originally, Elsa would have been in the urn, and she would have traveled to Storybrooke with everybody else, and so would Anna and Kristoff and all the Frozen characters, and she would have been in the urn probably just hanging out in the pawn shop or wherever Rumpel decided to stick her. So True, then, but that, that is a factor that we don't know yet. We would have to figure, we would have to find out if Elsa was brought over, like the all the his his stuff in his vault. Or no, wait, no. Uh, Belle said in the finale, in the first part of the finale, that all of his stuff is still in that vault in the Enchanted Forest when she went to him talking about the dagger, like, no, no, I don't want to take this anymore. Why don't you just throw it in your vault? And to me, that seemed like his vault was still in the Enchanted Forest where he cannot have access to. That's, and assuming, it all just also depends whether or not the original Dark Curse that Regina cast 28 years ago, when, if it reached to Arendelle, then there is a chance that we can see them in Storybrooke. If not, then time could have continued in Arendelle, unaffected by the curse, with Elsa no longer in the picture at one point. So there is, like I said, it's the unfortunate side of this theory is that Anna and Kristoff and all of them could be dead in the present. Hmm. Mm, well, I, that would I be really sad. Yeah, it would. I think that the only place that got protected from the curse, though, was the land, part of the land that was under Korra's magic bubble. I think that Arendelle probably would have been affected by it, and so they all would have been ripped to Storybrooke, too, and hanging out there for 28 years. So really, it's more... I think that really the only thing that changed in that situation is that now um, Elsa is out of the bottle. But I think that... Because now that... Okay, so think about this. Okay, now I see about this. Because if Arendelle... If all those people got taken to Storybrooke, too, then that means that Anna and Kristoff and everybody have been hanging out somewhere in Storybrooke the entire time, and Hans. So they've sure. been Starbucks the entire time, but Elsa would have been down in the vault. But now that they changed, now that they brought Elsa with them, now she's there. So that's what's like, yeah. So hmm, like if like if Emma hadn't gone back in time, I'm pretty sure that Elsa would still be in the Enchanted Forest in the castle because we know from season three that a bu- Rumple left a bunch of his stuff in the castle because that's how Neil you know, found the crystal ball in the Neverland story to find out where Emma was. So he probably would have left Elsa in the Enchanted Forest in the... And that's probably would have been the only thing, I think. Just to let you know, too, we just had the timer go off the British lady. Just let us know that we have 90 seconds left. So we've got a minute and a half left to the show. But um, I, think, I think that's the only thing that's different now is that Elsa is now here instead of there. Like, because if, if Emma, if they hadn't, like, let's say, if, you know, for argument's sake, if Emma hadn't, and Hook had gone back in the past and the urn hadn't followed through the, the portal with them, 
then Elsa would still be down you know, they wouldn't be dealing with the whole Frozen situation. So, time travel is very loopy. It's a hard thing. But it is. Timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly stuff. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, we have, well, I like your theory, Sarah. It's interesting. It's complicated because of time travel, but you, you, yeah, it's a good point. Thank you for calling and sharing it with us. I wish that we had longer to talk about it, but we have um, just about 30 seconds left of the show. So um, we will be back next week on our regular day, Tuesday, at our normal time, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, Again, if you want to read any of Ashley's um, roundups and interviews with the Dragon Con event, then go to Tomorrow will be my season four predictions that are going out online, so look for that. We have 10 seconds left, so that's pretty much the end of the show. Thank you, Ashley, for calling. Thank you, Sarah, for calling. Thank you, Amy, for being my co-host. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good night.